Have you ever maybe thought to yourself, if God can create the world in six days, why does he make, why does he make me wait six years to fulfill something that I felt like he was gonna, gonna say? Or you, you lose a job, why do you have to wait six months? God, you could snap your fingers and you could make this happen. And yet he doesn't. I, I'm sure I'm, I'm the only one that's ever wondered that, right? You ever feel like maybe you're playing telephone tag with God? I've been in some rough telephone tags even this week. And it's like we get to this place in telephone tag with cell phones. We don't even leave messages anymore. We just want to make sure the person saw that we called. And, uh, oh, yeah, hey, you called. We don't even check voicemails, right? I say I just saw you called. Yeah, I left you a 10-minute voicemail. Um, you go ahead and listen to that. But, you know, sometimes we feel like that with God. God, I left you a message. You know, did you, then maybe you weren't available when he called you back. And it's this season of waiting back and forth. I want to ask you this morning, are you in a season of waiting? Are you waiting on the Lord to fulfill something in your life or to move in your life or to change something in your life? I want you to write down what it is you're waiting on the Lord for. If, if that's you, write it down. That's, you're going to get the most out of this morning if you can I, identify it and be honest about it. But if you're in a season of waiting, you, you've probably been in one or you will be in one at some point in your life as well. You're in good company. All you got to do is open up the scriptures and you see how Noah, he was called by God to, to build the ark before the flood. He had to wait 120 years. We think six months is tough. He waited 120 years before that was fulfilled. Abraham, to get his promised child for him and Sarah, they were in their 90s before that happened. I mean, that's the trip to think about, right? But then you have, uh, you know, Joseph, he waited. He was thrown into, you know, slavery in Egypt and he waited on the Lord's deliverance. Moses, he had to wait 40 years in the desert before God actually had him prepared to go deliver the children of, of Israel. David, King David was anointed king, but lived 10 years running from Saul in the desert before he saw the fulfillment of what God had called him to be. I want to read to you one short verse that David wrote in Psalm 27. David writes, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. You should memorize that verse this week. Waiting on the Lord has a way of exposing to us what's in our hearts and it has a way of exposing what our true motives are in our lives when we have to wait. I mean, how many people enjoy traffic? It's the worst. I don't know how you guys do it on a regular basis. The once or twice a year, I feel like I have to be out on that, you know, I-25 or something early in the morning. I would lose it if I had to drive in traffic every day. But with this waiting, we're always looking for the shortest line, the shortest way. We're waiting on people. We just, it exposes to us what's really in our hearts. But I want you to get something this morning. God is just as interested in your journey to get to where he's promised you that you're waiting for as he is the destination. He's just as interested in how you walk this season of waiting out or how you will walk a season of waiting out, out as he is when you're finally there. You need to hold on to that, that's truth. What are the seasons of waiting? Well, read with me from, from James chapter five. What are the seasons of waiting? James writes, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I see a couple things from this passage that seasons of waiting happen, first of all, when we cannot control circumstances. You can write that down. Seasons of waiting happen when you and I can't control circumstances, when there's uncontrollable circumstances. Maybe you're in an uncontrollable circumstance this morning and and you got to think kind of like he says, think of the farmer. The farmer does his work. He prepares the soil in the spring. He fertilizes it. He plants the seed. He waters. But he's not in control of the growth to ultimately get his crop. There are uncontrollable circumstances. People that were raised on farms or in rural areas, they pray a lot because they know they can't control hail or they can't control bugs or things. They can do their best. But there's just this sovereignty when it comes to to farming. Another thing that uh, seasons of waiting happen when we cannot change people, when we cannot change people. Difficult people create seasons of waiting. People block our goals sometimes. We want a good marriage. We want our kids to, do, to turn out good. We want this to happen. And people can block those goals. Difficult people block where we want to be or where we think we're supposed to be. And I've heard people say this before. I've prayed and I've prayed for them to change and they won't change. Well, one of the biggest lessons in life all of us need to hold on to is we don't change people. We don't have that power to change people. Only God can change people. When you learn that you get a new goal that God, instead of me just praying for that person to change, what do you want to do in me? How do you want to work in me in this season of waiting? How do you, as, I, as, as you're, you're trusting this person to change, let God change you because we cannot control people. And then another season of waiting happens when we cannot explain our problems. Sometimes we, like Job, if you've never read the story of Job, Job is probably one of the oldest stories in the Bible. It goes back probably somewhere between Noah and Abraham, most scholars believe, is when it actually took place. It's one of the poetic books. It's, it's just before the Psalms and the Proverbs. But Job was a guy who, he had a great family, he had wealth, he had possessions, and in and, and the scriptures say that the devil went before the throne of God and said, Job serves you because his life is good. Job loves you because his life is, is, is cush because you've made it that way for him. And God allows this incredible storm to come into Job's life where everything was taken away. And at the end of the day, you know, he, Job realized that God was sovereign and that God was in control, but he couldn't explain his problems. He even had friends who tried to come and explain the problems to him and they didn't really know what they were saying. Ultimately, God rebukes them at the end of the book. Here's my question for you. Are you feeling maybe today like you're at a dead end? 
You know, you feel like you're at a dead end. I, I put a little slide up there. There's a, there's a dead end slide just to make you, look at that desert road there, dirt, dirt road. Sometimes we pull up to a dead end and we think, where am I going? I, I thought I was supposed to go beyond this dead end. And all of a sudden you find yourself going, what do I do? Here's what I want you to get. If, if you're in circumstances you can't control, people that you cannot change, problems you can't explain, listen, God will, in his sovereignty, if you will submit to him and if you will trust him and lay it down at his feet, God has the power to turn a dead end simply into a detour. He'll take a, make that a detour. And I'll, you, know, you show up, and I've seen this in my own life, things that I thought were dead ends. I thought, well, my life's over because of this experience or my life's over because of, of this situation, I look back and realize that God has had a detour, a different way he wanted me to get to where I'm at. And so hold on to that today. And, and you're gonna hear a story at the end of, of the message today that's gonna realize, they, some folks that have realized that dead ends become detours for us. Why should we learn to wait on the Lord? Why should we learn to wait on the Lord? A couple things. First of all, it renews and strengthens our faith. When we learn to wait on the Lord, it renews and it strengthens our faith. Just like exercise is to the body, waiting on the Lord is to our faith. I told you this a couple weeks ago and don't laugh at me, but I've been working out with Seth. And those of you that don't know Seth and Danielle, they're some fit people. And Seth has a gym in his basement. And I, I just got tired of, well, you know, just feeling out of shape. And it, it does something for me emotionally, physically. I mean, I've been so sore. I could barely move a little bit. But I, I remember telling Janelle one day, I was like, you know, the older you get, the, the, the more silly injuries you get. You know, you get injuries over the dumbest things. And I remember one day, you know, I was like, Oh, my back, my back. Oh, I, my back hurt. What, what happened? What happened? I picked up my towel. You know, it was like, like, wow, you threw your back out picking up a towel. And uh, how old are you? But it, it happens. And you just get the silliest injuries because if we don't exercise our muscles, they atrophy. And they, they don't stretch right. And they're, they're, they don't work right. And we just, you know, get hurt over the littlest things. Same thing goes with our faith. For our faith will fail us unless it's been tested and strengthened by waiting on the Lord and going through difficulty. Look what it says in Isaiah 40. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases his strengths. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When your hope and faith is in the Lord, when you go through a season of waiting, you are exercising your faith and then the next time you go through some sort of difficulty or trial, it's not as hard. It's hard, but it's not as hard because you've seen the hand of the Lord work in your life. Another thing why we should learn to wait on the Lord is it develops our perseverance. It develops perseverance. We live in a buy now, pay later world, right? I mean, you on credit, 
can, can get almost anything. We were talking to the folks over at Global Refuge, which is in Old Town, Arvada, and they have uh, ministry to refugees that come from Sudan, Somalia, and Burma over in Aurora. I've actually brought, brought food over there. Some of you have, have done some stuff with them before. They were telling us about a guy who has no money. He's a refugee. And he went to a car dealership and they approved him for a brand new $40,000 van. Yeah, you're a refugee and you just drive off. What a country this is, man. They give you a brand new van, right? This is awesome. And they were, they were talking to us to, would we get people to build relationship with them to realize, no, that's not how it really works. In four months, somebody's going to come repo this thing because you can't afford it. And we, we live in this buy now, pay later because we want it now. We don't want to put in the hard work. We don't want to do the discipline, the saving and all savings that, that, that goes for us to, to develop that perseverance. But we're told in James, he says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. How many think it's great joy when difficulties come in your life? It's hard, but you have to remember God will develop your perseverance. He says, for you know, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And then we wait on the Lord because it shapes our character. God uses times of waiting to refine our character and God's goal for every person in this room, God's, God's goal, whether you believe in God today or not, he still created you to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. He wants you to embrace that. He wants you to embrace that Jesus is the center of the world, that we were created by him and for him and that we exist for him. And that God wants to shape our character and how we think, act and speak to become like Jesus. We're told that in Romans 8, 29. It says in, in Romans 5, it says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Waiting on the Lord has a way of rubbing off those rough edges on our life when we learn to wait on the Lord. I mean, think about Moses. He was told he was gonna deliver Israel, but 40 years he spent in the desert in the school of patience to become the deliverer, to become the fulfillment of what God had, had for him. And I don't know about you, but I tend to, to trust people who have been wounded by life more than those who haven't. I tend to trust people who have had to learn to wait on the Lord. There's something about their honesty and their humility when somebody's been broken by life or they've, been, they've had to wait on God and see God work in their life. There's just something that's more honest and humble about people that have been through that. How do we wait on the Lord? How do we do this? Well, first of all, I'm going to tell you, there's three Hebrew words that you can kind of, that we'll learn in English as well, but how they, how they work in our lives and how they describe three different ways of waiting on the Lord. And the, the first one I would tell you is this, wait confidently, wait confidently. It says, I, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. There's an expectancy in that confidence. Uh, somebody that is putting their hope in his word, somebody that knows the word of God, somebody that has seen how God has worked in the lives of all the people we get to read about in scripture. 
I mean, God gave us stories, real stories of people's lives. These aren't fables. These aren't things that are just cute little things that kids learn on Sunday morning for us, for them. But this is for us to know, man, God worked in Joseph's life. He worked in Paul's life. He worked in in the disciples' life. He worked in David's life. There are stories for us to have our confidence in God built. That's why we should be in it every day. We need to make our, our waiting on the Lord less answer focused. Get this, less answer focused and more God focused. If you're waiting on the Lord, don't make it just about the answer. When it's all answer focused, your focus isn't on God. Make your, your focus on God and who he is. Waiting on the Lord builds intimacy with, the, with God. And, and every person that's successful in life, every person that's successful in relationships, every person that's su- successful with their life, there's a direct correlation to their intimacy and dependence upon God. People that have s- successful lives and in relationships have a dependency because they are intimate with God. And then wait patiently. How do we wait on the Lord? We wait patiently. There's a Hebrew word for waiting that literally means silence, to just be still and to be quiet. It says in the Psalms, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. You know why? Because you never know what God's up to behind the scenes. How many know what I'm talking about? You saw, you, you thought everything was blown up before you and you had no idea that underneath All of this, God, the sovereign one, was working circumstances to get this piece in place and that piece in place. And as you waited for the Lord, he he worked everything for good and he will work things for our good, for those who love him and been called according to his purpose. True patience is waiting without worrying. You know that you're truly exercising patience when when you're waiting without worrying. People who learn to wait on the Lord understand that they're not in control. That God is in control. Made me think of like, I've been in many, many hospital waiting rooms with people, right? Maybe somebody's having a baby or they're having a surgery. And, and so they wheel, you know, your, your loved one or your friend back and you have to wait together. And many times we kind of wait silent, right? We don't know what to say. Maybe we're a little nervous. I usually try to liven things up in my family. And like we've had several times where like I take the, the rubber glove and put it on and do my best Michael Jackson dance for everybody in the room and try to make them laugh. And maybe I just need to learn how to be silent myself. But in a waiting room, what you do is you just sit and you wait for this to happen, the surgery to happen. You wait and you're, you're, you're trusting the doctor knows what they're doing and you're waiting for it. Sometimes that's just where you gotta be if you're waiting on the Lord. And I would tell you this, wait collectively. Wait confidently, wait patiently, and wait collectively. And that's the Hebrew word for watching. Watching and waiting. It's standing watch, it's standing guard. We're told in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 that we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. And in Hebrews 11, it's the hall of faith of of Joseph and Moses and David and all these things that God worked in and through people's lives. It says they're cheering us on. That the, the, the saints that have gone on before us cheer us on and say, hey, keep waiting, keep hoping, keep hoping in the Lord. 
But there's a, not just the, the crowd collectively of those in heaven that are cheering us on, there is right now. There is family and friends that we wait with. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. There's a real paradox to waiting. I was thinking about this. Hopefully this makes sense. Here's the deal. You have, if, when you're in a season of waiting, you have to wait alone. No one can wait for you, but you don't have to wait alone. Does that make sense? When you're in a season of waiting, I can't wait for you, but I can wait with you. I don't, I'm not gonna do it for you. Somebody's not gonna, but you can wait together. And it's helping each other carry one another's burdens. Um, I've asked Mike and Rebecca Pavlich and Chad and Tammy to come out. They're going to share with you. Give it up for the Wallaces and the Pavliches. And I'm, I'm gonna let uh, Chad and Tammy introduce Jenny to you here in just a second. But um, these guys have been through a season of waiting and I thought how perfect it would be to finish this, I'll, I'll grab it, it's, it's right there. Uh, we're having a conversation too up here. Uh, <laughs> but they just came out of a season of waiting themselves on, on an adoption, something that I'm gonna let them share their story a little bit on waiting to adopt um, these kids that, in the journey that they had to go through. And, you know, I remember when we first started Novation, you know, we're going into our fourth year talking with these guys about adoption. And it was kind of like when Rusty and Kristen McClanahan said that they felt God had called them to go to Mozambique and be missionaries. I was like, okay, cool, yeah, let's do it. And let's see how this unfolds. And all of a sudden, we're sending them off and these guys being knee deep into their you know, adoption situation and story. Um, one thing you need to know, those of you that got to read the devotion over the last uh, several weeks, this, this past week, the season of waiting, was written by Mike and Rebecca while they were in Congo waiting on the Lord for this to happen. It wasn't uh, post glee, you know, this, the, look at us, look at how great, you know, this turned out for us. They were in the trenches and everything that you read, you need to, you need to hold on to that and maybe even go back and read it after you hear their story a little bit. But um, one thing I wanted to ask you guys, maybe just as a way of of sharing with your, your church family and friends this morning, because I know how many people walked with you guys through this. And those of you that don't know the Wallaces or the Pavliches, they've both been part of Novation since the beginning. And I consider them dear, dear, dear friends and leaders in our church and admire you guys deeply, and we all do. And um, they got quite a story. So why don't you just tell us a little bit how this journey towards adoption even started? Um, well, for us, it started when we first got married. We have had it on our hearts to adopt for a long time. Um, we've had a lot of issues, um, even having biological kids and lost a lot of um, babies along the way. And God has blessed us with two 
beautiful little biological girls, but that desire and that calling that God put on our hearts to adopt, especially adopt internationally, God just put Africa on our heart specifically, just never went away. And so about um, four years ago, we started the process. We were actually up here on stage. God asked us to come up when we started our home study process where we have to start all of our classes. And at that time, ask you guys to pray with us. And we were told... um, probably within a year to year and a half, we would have our, our child home. And so we were prepared for about a year wait, but um, we had no idea it would be um, four years later that um, Jenny would finally be home with us. So that's kind of where we are. So our journey started about six and a half years ago when our youngest daughter, Katie, who's sitting over here, was six months old. God really laid it on my heart that we were to adopt. Um, how that was supposed to go, what was supposed to happen, I didn't know. Uh, Every door we went through when that first started, shut, slammed shut. Six, eight months straight, every door slammed shut. So we said, we're just going to wait. God obviously told us we were supposed to go this direction, but nothing happened. Um, That took another three years until we started thinking about adoption again. Um, some friends of ours, Jeremy and Yvonne Vernon, who now moved back to Germany, gave, us, gave me a book to read. It's called Wait No More. Um, it reconfirmed everything that God had put on my heart um, those three years earlier about that we were supposed to adopt. Becca, on the other hand, had no interest in adopting whatsoever. <laughs> it was nothing she wanted to do. Um, and that was where Chad and Tammy came up, shared their story, um, and it took Becca several months for God to work in her heart, to change her heart, to, to pursue this. And at the time, like Tammy was saying, we were looking at a year-ish before our kids were supposed to be home. That was about a little over three years now. How did you, uh, I mean, for those that have been following with you, know that there was so many hiccups and so many apparent dead ends and detours. How'd you, how'd you deal with those detours and, and dead ends along the way. Did you, was it just a rosy, easy story for you or no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it definitely wasn't easy nor, nor rosy. Um, but <laughs> luckily, you know, I have my best friend walking beside me with it. And when I was discouraged, she would encourage me and, and vice versa. It's, it's funny how God works like that. Um, but yeah, we had each other, and then um, beyond that, we had the Pavliches walking right, right beside us along the whole way, and, and that was a huge blessing. And even beyond that, we had you guys, our, our church family, um, praying with us, waiting with us, supporting us, encouraging us. Um, you know, I, I was telling Tammy and our, our small group at the Woodyards that I don't know how anyone would be able to do this alone. It, it truly takes, you know, a, a family, a, a team to do it. And, you know, alone we would have thrown in the towel a long time ago. And it, I don't know how people can do that. Why don't you describe a little bit of what those, those dead ends were? I mean, can you give us a little detail as to how that happened and unfolded? Some of you know our story. We've updated you along the way 
of some of the struggles and trials. And Mike had alluded earlier how um, less, less than enthusiastic I was about approaching a season of adoption. Um, and I truly do feel the Lord gave me an understanding that this wouldn't be easy. And that is the biggest understatement of my life. <laughs> um, we ended up starting our adoption process and we truly were told by our agency that ours would be the quickest adoption from beginning to end ever completed within their agency. So we were looking at six months from the time we got the referral to when the time the boys were supposed to be home. Along the way, we ran into US government slowdowns and stops, more difficulties coming up. And then um, two and a half years ago, um, if not longer, the Congo government shut down um, adoptions, which meant the final piece of paper that the boys needed to get home. So our kids um, were ours over three years ago, but we needed one sheet of paper to let them out of the country. Nothing on the U.S. side, just on the Congolese side, and they would not grant that piece of paper. So... That was excruciating and hard and talk about times where we could control nothing and everything was controlled by other people and we could not control our circumstances. Um, and then we did get, we went and had a visit with the boys, which was very trying and difficult. And that was two years ago. Then we came home and um, this May, as some of you know, we got up on the stage and said we were jumping off of a cliff. And that is the point where we felt God needed to deliver us. And we felt very firmly that we needed to move forward and go to Congo. But we had no guarantee. We knew nothing other than this nudging in our soul. And I think that this is the part that Mike needs to share the most because we truly gave up our comfort, our family, we were apart from our kids. There were times where we turned down adoption processes in other countries because they required a two week in country stay. <laughs> so we lived in Congo for three months thinking we could never do that with no end in sight and no guarantee. And I think Mike has such a great insight into that season of waiting. So with that, still on? Uh, May 26th, so we left for Congo. Me and Becca both left. We were there for eight weeks. Um, the first few weeks we were there, everything looked like it was going forward. We were gonna bring the boys home, probably be there two, three weeks at, at most. Uh, that time passed. Four, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. Our girls were here. Um, they were staying with Becca's parents, the Garwoods. Um, many of you helped out. Um, that being said, if you turn to the left or right of you, somebody has helped us in some way or fashion, whether it be prayer, money, support, a phone call, anything. Um, so week seven came by and we had no indication that we were gonna go home. Um, we have our two boys, they're sitting there, they're sitting right over here. They were staying with us. We were in a house that our rent was coming up. Another family was moving to this house. We had no place to live. Um, we had our girls who were having a hard time at home and we had to make some very difficult decisions. This coming after, we stood up in front of all of you and said, we're stepping out in faith. <laughs> to say the least, we did not understand it at all. Um, 
we chose, made the decision that Becca should come home. She came home, took the girls. I stayed in Congo with the boys for another month. Um, again, nothing moved forward. Everything shut down. No, nothing was moving. The only thing through that season, Becca and I asked each other, one of the things she said to me more times than I can't even say is, how do we serve a God who allows this to happen? God is not evil, he is not bad, but he did allow this to happen. He sure did. And he did it out of love and goodness. And he did deliver. So she left, I was there with the boys. We didn't have a place to stay. The people that had initially fostered our kids opened their home to us. We had a little 12 by 12 room that all three of us stayed in with all of our stuff for another month. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. We were writing emails back and forth to people at home asking to, for help, for prayer, anything. Nobody could do anything. There was only one way these adoptions were gonna be completed and that was the Lord. So August 16th came around. At this time, I've used up every bit of leave I had at work. Guys at work were working for me. I had no, we had no, nothing left. We made the decision at that point that I needed to come home. I needed to come home and take care of the family I had here. We had to leave the boys in Congo. Um, we had no idea how they're gonna get home. The foster family that they were staying with was out of the country. We didn't have any place to leave them, but God told us we need to go home. So for the second time, we had to leave them in Congo. Uh, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I've never cried harder holding my two sons that were just screaming, saying, Daddy, don't leave. Extremely difficult season of waiting for God's deliverance. We didn't know. I came home. Not two days after we came home, somebody called us and said, hey, we have somebody that can get your kids home. We have a way to get this person, know somebody who knows somebody that can get your kids home. That made no sense to me whatsoever because God told us to wait. However, he did it. Two weeks later, I was on a plane back to Africa with Chad, thank God, going through it together. <laughs> A week after we landed, we came back and we were home. We had our boys home. We had Jenny home. There's the reason I asked, I cried out for understanding from the Lord through this whole process is why? Why are you doing this, God? Why? This doesn't make any sense. You said this. Why are you not doing this? Understanding, I don't think, is something that we can totally grasp. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. There isn't a thing I still understand about this other than the fact that God is good, that he does deliver, and that our, the hard part in our heart is that we have to trust him with everything we have, everything. Our families, our homes, our jobs, anything and everything that we have, do we truly put those on the line for God? And I challenge us all to step out and if it's one of those things as you say, how are we supposed to do this, God? He'll fulfill it. He will. So our season of waiting was very difficult. Many, many, many nights of crying out to the Lord and asking, how are you going to deliver? And he did. We didn't understand it, though. We uh, have a pretty amazing thing that we're getting ready to do here. We're going to have a child dedication these three awesome kids, and you get to be part of this this morning. Um, let's go ahead and move, move down.
to the to the floor or be easiest for everybody to gather around you. So, child dedication is something we do at Novation. We don't baptize children; we dedicate children. We believe in what's called uh, believer's baptism. When somebody is of age and they've made a decision to follow Jesus, Jesus modeled that by he was dedicated on the eighth day, but then. Um, when he, he got baptized later as an adult, and he modeled that for us in, in becoming one of us. And so child dedication is really a family thing. It's us as a church family saying that we're going to support them. It's the parents asking God for wisdom to raise these children. You know what the bottom line is? If you're a parent or you're not a parent, parenting responsibility, or maybe you're a step-parent, um, they're not our kids. They're God's kids. And parenting is a privileged responsibility. So whether they're your flesh and blood or not, they're God's kids. And all of our job is to raise children in the Lord, to know their purpose, to know their creator, and to, to walk with him. And I don't know if I'm going to get through this part or not, though, because... Three years ago... I was standing on this stage. Praying with these guys, these beautiful families, the Wallaces and the Pavliches. And God gave me a clear vision of this day. What was the date that the kids came home that you landed? What was that? September 8th few of us got to be at the airport and see them get welcomed home. I had a real eloquent speech I was going to try to say here, but it's just not coming out. I'm sorry. God is faithful. You guys are loved. And that goes for everybody in this room. This is a testimony that God will deliver and, and even in the hardest of circumstances when you can't see and when you, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know how many times we prayed and cried together and here we are. Faithful, faithful God. Where's that mic? Brian, why don't you... Uh, Move around and have these guys introduce the children that we're dedicating this morning. Okay. Little guy I'm holding here is David Pavlich. Say hello. Hi. <laughs> and his little brother Joseph. Hi. <laughs> Truly a testimony, like Scott said, is to uh, God's faithfulness. It's tangible evidence that God does answer prayers and he does deliver. Yeah, in, in adopting, it's been obvious the toll that it doesn't just take on the parents, but the, the siblings and they have two amazing sisters at home as well. Uh, this is Ginny Adia Wallace, and Adia means gift of God, and she truly is a gift to us, and um, we're, we're complete now, and... Um, we just pray and, and we dedicate her today that you know all our girls would know God and live live a life that would glorify Him. 
I've had the privilege of dedicating all your kids, and this is uh, mind-boggling. But uh, I want to ask you, church family, today, church family, the, the charge to you is this. Would you promise this day to love and support these parents? Will you promise to love and support these kids in both good and hard times? Will you pray for them, care for them, and if the need arises, will you provide for them? If so, say we will. Chad and Tammy, Mike and Rebecca, the scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 112 says, praise the Lord, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere and an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. Teach your children to choose the right path and when they're older, they will remain upon it. Chad and Tammy, Mike and Rebecca, do you vow this day to do your best to raise these children in the way of Christ? And do you promise to seek God's wisdom and guidance for yourselves as parents continually? Will you acknowledge that God's will and plan for their, their life, acknowledge his plan for their life, remembering that ultimately and first and foremost, they're his children? Will you pray for them, support them, give them unconditional love all the days of their lives? If so, say we will. Would you stand and just extend a hand? Heavenly Father, we dedicate Jenny and Joseph and David to you this day. Lord, you are their creator. You're their redeemer. You're their sustainer. God, I pray that they would know your love. And God, there's probably no more thing that typifies your love than, than adoption. Caring for, for the orphans and caring for those that don't have parents. And you did that for us spiritually. May they know that at a young age. May Jenny, David, and Joseph know their need of you. Would you bless them and keep them Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Give them your peace. Lord, I pray you would prepare them for their future. I pray you prepare them for their future marriage, for who they're going to marry and, and God, and just protect their homes and, 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 and uh, God, keep their eyes steadfast on you to continue to grow in you, God, and in health, spiritually, physically, emotionally, to know your grace. God bless these awesome parents have cho that have, have chosen to accept your call to adoption. Give them wisdom, God, great wisdom, great grace, great joy, the fruit of the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit. And God, may their uh, sisters have that same strength as well in, in adjusting to all of this, Father. We thank you for this special day. And so we dedicate these children. They're yours by creation. They're yours by redemption. May your power flow in and through their lives. The love of God, the peace of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with them all the days of their life. Lord, we pray for just that day to come where they recognize fully that they need you and to follow you all the days of their life. In Jesus' name, amen.